listening to Law and Gospel on this Wednesday as we take a look at another thesis of C.F.W. Walther. We're taking a look at his 10th evening lecture. In other words, we've already looked at nine of them. This one occurred on November the 28th in the year of 1884, and he has a little introduction prior to getting into thesis number six, which is the second way that pastors often confuse law and gospel. But as indicated, what he does is he has a little introduction to each of these various principles, and this one is kind of interesting. He talks about that thousands of people have been tormented with uncertainty day and night as to whether or not they're in a state of grace, whether or not they have been accepted by God as his dear children, and whether their sins have been forgiven. In fact, he asks this question to them, if I were to die today, will I be saved? And in this state of mind, they resolved to seek the grace of God and the forgiveness of their sins. Well, they may have been serious about following through on this resolution, because God does forgive Christians their sins of weakness and frailty every single day. But he does this only for those who are really serious about being Christians. If this earnestness is lacking, a person is not a true Christian. Well, what is C.F.W. Walther talking about here? How do you know that your earnestness is sufficient in the mind of God? What Walther is talking about is the backsliding on the part of Christians who only believe historical faith. What is historical faith? The best example I can give to you are the religious leaders in Jesus' day, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They believed in six-day, 24-hour creation, They believed that a worldwide flood covered the entire earth. They believed in obedience to the Ten Commandments and the ceremonial laws, but they didn't believe in Jesus as their Savior. In other words, they were living under the law. They read the Bible. They knew the history of the Bible. But unfortunately, they didn't understand the gospel properly. For them, the gospel was the good news that you were saved by your works. And what C.F.W. Walther does here, he transfers that kind of unsaving faith to pastors When you become a pastor, remember, he's talking to seminarians on these Friday night lectures. We will need to be of the opinion 
that we will be satisfied with everything that happens to us. God leads the way, and I will follow. And then C.F.W. Walter quotes Paul Gerhardt's hymn, Awake My Heart with Gladness, and stanza six. I cleave now and forever to Christ, a member true. My head will leave me never. Whatever he lead me through, he rends asunder death, suffering in all the earth. He tears dread hell in twain. His comrade, I'll remain. Yes, that's verse 6 of Awake My Heart with Gladness. It just so happens that this Sunday, we went over the hymn with Mark Smith on Tuesday, Let Us Ever Walk with Jesus. And it had the same kind of theme. Let us ever walk with Jesus. Let us ever suffer with Jesus. Let us ever take joy with Jesus. He talks about the Apostle Paul. As soon as Paul received the divine call, he went and preached the gospel of Christ among the Gentiles. And now, this is an interesting statement. The Apostle Paul has been face to face with his God and Savior for more than 1,800 years and is praising and magnifying him forever and ever. What Walter's talking about, of course, is St. Paul, who is in the spirit, in the bliss of paradise itself, awaiting the last day when his body will be restored. So, Walter is encouraging the seminarians that if they have resolved to enter the holy ministry, they need to take the matter seriously. You are blessed men if you carry out your resolution. And then he talks about the chief task before he gets into thesis six. What will your chief task be? when you enter the sacred ministry. Now, today, people will be talking about, well, to help out the poor, to give housing to the homeless, to feed those who are hungry. In other words, to do a lot of things in the world. This is what Walther says is the chief task. You are to proclaim to a world of sinners both law and gospel. And now he gets into thesis six. Remember, the first four really dealt with a general view of law and gospel. Here are the similarities between law and gospel. For example, both are given by God. And then here are the differences between law and gospel. The law does not save you, the gospel does. Thesis six is error number two. The first one 
which we went over in Thesis 5 last week, was how many people believe that they're saved by their works. Now, listen to Thesis 6 as to how some pastors confuse law and gospel. You are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the Word of God if you do not preach the law in its full sternness and the gospel in its full sweetness. Similarly, do not mingle gospel elements with the law or law elements with the gospel. What is he talking about? Well, as is his custom, Walter goes to the scriptures. My favorite chapter in the whole Bible that deals with law and gospel is Galatians chapter 3. So we ought not be surprised that he quotes from it. Verses 11 and 12. This is what it says. This is what the Bible says. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. That is, by obedience to the law. Because the righteous shall live, not by obedience, but by faith. But the law is not a faith. Because, what do we say? The one who does them shall live by them. There, Galatians 3 makes a clear distinction that the law is observed by doing something, but salvation and justification before God takes place by believing something. What a tremendous verse. About the only verse you need in the whole Bible. The law cannot make any person righteous, because it has nothing to say about justifying and saving faith. Or another way of putting it, the law has nothing to say about grace. It's so sad how every other religion in the world outside of Christianity uses the law as a means of saving yourself. He then goes to Romans 4, verse 16. That is why righteousness depends on faith in order that the promise may be resting on grace and be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring. Now there we hear a word, namely promise. See, this is what faith is. Faith is trusting the promises of the gospel, not the false promises of the law. So, Walter explains, when a person says, I become righteous in the sight of God by faith, what he's really saying I become righteous for free. God makes me righteous by giving me the gift of righteousness. 
nothing of me is demanded. That is the gift of the Holy Spirit. That way, no gospel element should be mingled with the law. In fact, if a preacher is explaining the law, he shamefully corrupts it if he adds grace to it. Now, what do we mean by grace? We're not talking about some power from God. We're actually talking about God's attitude of being gracious, loving, kind, and patient as he forgives our sins. He, he gives an analogy, and Walter loves analogies, and this is a good one. You're in a hospital, and you have to take medicine, but you hate the taste of that medicine. So in order to make the bitter medicine sweet, the nurse puts sugar in it. Now, the problem with that is the medicine will not retain its strength if it has been sweetened. Any sweet ingredient into the medicine means it will not work at all. And that's what Luther is saying about law and gospel. When you are preaching the law, don't provide a comfort to people so it is pleasant to hear the law as a lost and condemned sinner. Any sweet ingredient injected into the law neutralizes its effectiveness. So, quoting Jesus from Matthew chapter 5, I am not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill them. Because until heaven and earth passes away, not an iota will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Anybody who relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And what Walter means by least in the kingdom of heaven is they are not in the kingdom of heaven. Boy, are we ever experiencing that in this 21st century? Uh, how many times do we hear people speaking of immorality as an okay of living one's life? They're relaxing the law. And that's because, remember, they said, the Holy Spirit tells me how I am to behave. I don't need to listen to God's law. Walter makes a point. Anytime you preach the law, there are no concessions to being obedient to the law. It only makes demands. And unless you meet those demands, you are not saved. But we already know nobody can meet the demands on their own. So how does God save you? He gives you Christ's righteousness. 
There's a glorious exchange. It happened to me in my baptism where God took away my sins, put them on Jesus, and gave me his righteousness. This way, I now rely on the gospel rather than relying on the law. And once more, Galatians 3 is quoted. For all who rely on works of the law, that's for salvation, are under a curse. For it is written, now now listen to this carefully. Curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and to do them. If you direct people to do good works by adding, well, then you indeed will be perfect, then you're saying to them that God really isn't demanding the impossible from you. Do what you can in your weakness. Just be sincere in your intention. God never spoke like that from Mount Sinai. Romans seven fourteen, Walter, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh and sold under sin. You see, the law isn't working on some part of our body. It's really working on the heart. Here's the example he gives. You shall not murder That sounds like it applies only to your hand, that you shouldn't murder anybody. But applies also to the heart. And he quotes the Ninth and Tenth Commandments, which prohibit evil desires of the heart. So, do not rant about horrible vices that may be running wild in the congregation. He says continual ranting will prove useless because people will soon return to their old ways. You must instead tell the people, even if you were to quit your cursing, swearing, and so on, that would not make you a Christian because God is concerned about the attitude of your heart. And then he goes to the Sermon on the Mount. Remember Jesus said, you shall not kill. But he includes in that commandment, with the same punishment of eternal damnation, if you kill someone by word, talking about them being a fool, or by thought, wishing evil upon them. And in that way, he shows The law is aiming at the heart, at the spirit of man. Then he uses Romans 3.20. This is really important. God does not tell you to preach the law to make people godly. The law can make no one godly. Because Romans 3.20 says, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. He then goes to Mount Sinai. Remember, 
There were thunderclaps across the mountains, a loud trumpet. Uh, the people were absolutely afraid. And he makes a point. There was nothing pleasant, nothing comforting at Mount Sinai. Do you think it was a coincidence that terrible weather and noise blew in precisely on that day? No. God was giving us an example. This is how he was revealing the law. It's the same way we should be revealing the law. Now, we can't produce the thunder and lightning of that day except in a spiritual way because the preacher in the sermon is to preach the law in all its fullness, thought, word, and deed, and that way explain spiritual meaning so that the people in the pew say, boy, if what he is saying is correct in the sermon, I am lost. That's the purpose of preaching the law. In fact, it is noted that when Walther was speaking the law, he often was thundering forth each sentence like a volley of cannon fire. He was very emotional when he spoke the law. That's the way he's telling these seminarians. First, you need Moses, then you need Christ. Or, in regard to the New Testament, first, you use John the Baptist, then Christ. So at first, the people will exclaim, how terrible this is for me. And when they arrive at that point, you then preach the gospel. Never add gospel elements to the law, except in conclusion. The, the reason so many people assume they're really good Christians, Walther says, is because their parents reared them to be miserable Pharisees. That's really interesting. You see, it's harder to convert a Pharisee who thinks that he's good enough to be saved than it is to convert a person who realizes they are sinners. In, in fact, in the Roman Catholic Church, concupiscence, which is the state of original sin, was considered to be a fairly benign natural state and therefore nothing to worry about. But the Bible doesn't say that. Christ showed the Pharisees and the scribes about when teaching the law, he did not use their explanations and interpretations beyond the literal meaning of the commandments and thus made them applicable not just to external acts like the Pharisees said but also internal acts of the heart and a lot of times they did not feel guilty they did what King Saul did when he was trying to kill David he didn't want to kill David he sent him to the Philistines so that they would kill him 
And that way Saul's hands would remain pure. Remember, that's also what the Jews did at the time of Jesus. They used the Romans to kill Jesus. And it seemed like their hands were clean. So, this ending of evening number 10 is done by quoting Chemnitz, where he enumerates 12 councils that the Roman Catholics used in that day that were not serious sins. Celibacy, taking revenge, avoiding opportunities to commit sins. No, they minimize the law. Walther says, and they taught a person may commit even the most horrible abominations as long as he does so with good intent. Next week, we'll begin the 11th evening lecture for law and gospel and continue with CFW Walther's understanding. We are not on the air Thursday and Friday as KFUO attempts to raise funds for our ministry here, please join the station in the next two days. I'm Tom Baker. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.